Welcome to the Weird Works Podcast. I'm Dr. Christy, your host. Join us for conversations about alternative and sometimes controversial healthcare topics. This podcast will provide the evidence that you need in order to make informed decisions about your health, to empower you with the facts that you need to advocate for your health, and to encourage you that there is hope your body heals. Join us from experts from all things weird, as well as the testimonies of people with stories of radical healing who were once told that perhaps their condition was a death sentence, that they would just need to live with it, or that drugs and invasive surgery were the only answer. Let's get into agreement that if there is something natural and non-invasive that could be helpful, that it could be your first option rather than your last resort. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Christy Harvell with the Weird Works Podcast, and today we've got an awesome panel for you guys. Um, we are going to be talking about medical freedoms and also um, just vaccine information, because on a daily basis in practice, I'm getting hit with that question, like, what do you think of the vaccine? And I'm like, this is more than a couple of second conversation. You guys really need a lot of information to be able to make what we call an informed decision, because if you're only getting one side of the story, I don't believe you can make an educated decision. So we're here to present you with some facts. So today I've got a cool panel. We've got Melissa Taylor. Um, she's on the advocacy side. We've got Arshon McBride. He's going to be on the legal side. And then we're hopeful that in a few minutes, Dr. Brian Thornburg will be joining us and he is a medical doctor. So I'm going to introduce our guests. So Melissa is an executive board member of um, Florida Freedom Keepers. So you guys have seen them active in our office. Um, she's also a small business owner in Orlando and a mother of a seven-year-old. So therefore, she's very passionate about medical freedom, education, and uniting the Florida community to make an impact in maintaining our rights and working with politicians to have our voices be heard. So you can guess which one is Melissa because she's the only other female on the screen. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. And then we have our Sean McBride, and he is a corporate lawyer and business consultant by day. But in his spare time, he's passionate about freedom issues. So on his future, on his future done right YouTube channel, um, Sean has frequently spoken about health freedom issues and their impact on life and business, with surveillance being an area of focus for him. It wasn't long after the pandemic began in March 2020 that Sean became a frequent speaker with nonprofit groups throughout the state of Florida and began to interface with other nonprofits throughout the country on freedom issues. So that in turn led to the formation of what is known as the American Freedom Information Institute, and we will put a link in the bio for that, where Sean McBride serves as the president. Hi, Dr. Thornburg. Welcome. And Dr. Thornburg is a doctor of osteopathic medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And he has eight children of his own, I just learned. And so of course he's a true cheerleader for natural health. Um, he was named one of the seven most innovative pediatricians in the country by Parents Magazine. So thank you all for joining us. Okay, so what I thought we would do is have Sean set the stage. So. Um, what I would love you to do, Sean, what happened in March 2020 that got you all fired up and starting to cover some of the health freedom topics and kind of act, getting activated? What did you hear? Yeah, well, well, coronavirus started coming around, started making the news. And, you know, of course, they started talking about shutdowns. That's around the timeline of the 15 days to slow the spread and all kind of the attention was turning to it. And we as lawyers, you know, the court system obviously became part of this, you know, the government shutdown, partial government shutdowns that 
came around coronavirus and Belusa County, which is where I'm at, the Seventh Circuit here in Florida, covers that area. And I was in a lawyer's group and somebody sent around the order saying, hey, the courts are largely be closed, but we're going to have in-person hearings for some emergency stuff. And it had a list of emergency stuff. And, you know, it was things you would expect, right? I mean, you know, you have a criminal proceeding, you, you need a warrant for something, right? There was like kind of a list of, of, you know, maybe 20 things, but down towards the bottom of the list, they had appended some stuff to the bottom of it. And one thing it said was they would have hearings for um, mandatory vaccinations. And, and so me and the other lawyers started scratching our heads. We're like, well, why is the court here? This is March of 2020, right? We're not even talking about vaccines at this point as a and as a nation. I don't think it was talked about very much in newspapers. Everybody was just like, you know, coronavirus starting to spread in the U.S. Do we shut down the borders? You know, we're very early, but here the court system's already thinking in terms of mandatory vaccines. So that kind of scratched our heads and got us wondering. And you know, a couple other lawyers tried to approach the judges and say, why is this in here? What are you thinking about? And they refused to answer the questions to these other lawyers. And it wasn't long after that, uh, Florida started questioning travelers as they were coming into Florida. A lot of people got on an airplane leaving hot spots, New Orleans, New York, or whatever, and they would give they would be they would be given a form that they needed to fill out and the state told them they had to sign before they could land in Florida. And they weren't even told they were gonna be given these forms before they got on their flights from what we understand. They just got on their flight. As they're partway to Florida, the, 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 you know, the, whoever the flight attendants are handing out these forms, like you gotta fill it out. What's your name? What's your address? Where have you been? Where are you gonna be staying? And at the bottom was a statement saying, you know, you know I'm signing this form and I understand the state of Florida has the right to carry out mandatory vaccines mm -hmm. and so that was another one that caused us lawyers to kind of scratch our head and say what is going on here you know why is there all this government attention on mandatory vaccines in Florida mm -hmm. and that kind of started the inquiries okay that makes sense do you want to tell everybody what the 1986 act was and then also more recently what the prep act is yeah, so there's two major federal laws. So we, you know, of course, in the U.S., we have two major layers of laws, right? We have lots of layers of laws in the U.S., but you have a federal system and you have a state system, and a state system often broken down county, local, stuff like that. But you know, you have federal laws and state laws. So 1986 Act and Prep Act are federal laws, and to the extent that they are valid federal laws, they kind of override all the state law. And what both of these acts provide in different ways is liability protection to uh, people that are in the vaccine world. So the 1986 Act is geared towards vaccine manufacturers and liability for their uh, manufactured vaccines. The PrEP Act is is concerned with emergency use of medical procedures, which in, which in turn includes the vaccines and the doctors and the nurses administering them. So these are major federal laws that kind of rework the liability landscape and both of them, what they say is rather than the traditional system, which is you get hurt by somebody, you know, if somebody comes, you know, and runs into you in a car, what do you do? You take them to court, you sue them. And the 1986 and the PrEP Act did was they modified that system, put you into a very special court system, a very unusual court system, uh, where, you know, the lawyers that work in that system regularly will tell you it's very hard to get large recoveries, the dollar amounts are limited, the information's harder, it's just a different proceeding. So they set up a special court system for vaccines and medical injuries and basically routed a lot of people through them. And so that's what we have now. Uh, so it's not like everything else. I mean, normally, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't have a contractual relationship with somebody and they hurt you, they, you know, they run into you at the grocery store, they hit you with the car, they, 
you know, drop a board on you as you're walking through a construction site, whatever the case might be, usually you just get to sue them. But now they put a special federal system that changes all of that. And as far as I know, nobody else is protected in that same manner. Is that true? Yeah, it's a very unusual system, right? So, um, you know, I, we see some of this with maybe like a medical malpractice. Again, again, going back to medical, right? There's kind of special filing procedures, ways that you have to get into a medical malpractice case. So we see some of that. But this type of liability protection for an entire industry is very unusual. Okay, got it. So Melissa, um, what is the public's biggest fear with some of the stuff that Sean set the stage for? What are you hearing as you're out there and getting involved with the um, Freedom Keepers and some of the advocacy? Um, that's a great question. So um, we've been involved with Florida Freedom Keepers for a year and a half. And it's amazing to see what this lockdown and the pandemic has done for our culture in general. I am a hairstylist. So before I would interact with the public, I have a very, I'm very close to the public. And so it's been amazing to see my everyday clients come in and be like, are you going to get the vaccine? What do you think of the vaccine? And it has actually, in a way, opened up the conversation for not, I'm not talking about the mainstream media because mm -hmm. mainstream media has one agenda. But what we are seeing on an advocacy part in our organization is a lot more people are opening to asking questions. I think they just wanna get down to the bottom of it and to understand the truth. And we're seeing a lot more adults and elderly start asking questions as well. Before what we've seen is people wanna take away religious exemption, especially here in Florida. Um, we have one legislator, Senator Book, who wants to take away religious exemptions for school age children. So typically what we've seen in the past is people are like, vaccinate your kids, do it to your kids, like kids should be vaccinated to go to school. But now this has given us an opportunity to have more open conversations with adults and your job can be held liable. And are you able to travel if you don't have a vaccine? Do you need a vaccine passport? And so we've had a huge influx of people interested in joining our organization. And Sean's organization does a great job as well of people just being like, do I have to get a passport to travel and get this injection? And I don't even know what's in the injection. Uh, so I think from a community standpoint, people are very open to learning. From a mainstream media standpoint, I feel like you get a completely different perspective. Right. And so people are trying to search out other forms of truth and not just rely on what the mainstream media is. So that's good, right? People's minds are being awakened. They know that they need to do their own research. That's, that's positive. Okay, so Dr. Thornburg, I wanna turn to you and talk about um, one of the biggest fears I hear, of course, is that like, is this vaccine been properly researched and tested? It came out obviously like so quickly. So can you comment on that? Uh, the vaccine did come out quickly. I know it was fast-tracked and there was a lot of talk about uh, how fast it was coming to market. It's a completely different vaccine that we've had in the past. Uh, the previous vaccines we've had, we would take a, a piece of a virus or, or, or make the virus ineffective, what we call attenuated, or we would take part of a bacteria and we would then present that to the immune system through the, through the vaccine. And then the body would make antibodies in response to that antigen, which is part of the protein or the attenuated protein or the, um, from the virus or the bacteria. 
And this one works completely differently. It's what it's working in nanotechnology. It comes as a, as a mycelial, which is a very small, called a butter droplet would be the best way to think of it, floating mm -hmm. on top of some water. And because of that nature where it's circular and it has a fatty shell, it can enter right into the, right into the, into the body's cells. And then it delivers the mRNA and then the body's DNA will work with the mRNA to make the antibodies. So um, it, the reason it came out so fast, they're saying, compared to the regular vaccines, which would have to go through many, many years of testing to find the safety, is because it's not actually using uh, the, the virus itself um, or the, you know, the virus itself. So there is a, um, there's not, they, they say that there's not the same concern with immunogenicity since we're just going right into the DNA and programming it or not into the DNA, but we're injecting the mRNA into the body and then using the body's cellular machinery to make the, the proteins that make the antibodies against the virus. So they're saying because of that difference, it doesn't need the same extensive testing. Okay, got it. And you do vaccine education, correct? Yes, I do. So what kind of questions are you being asked on a regular basis? Like what are people's fears and concerns? I'm hearing a lot from parents about do their children need the vaccine? And it has not been approved down to that level. Um, it, you know, it's coming out in a, in a staged format. So those who are most uh, at risk or had the greatest exposure to the coronavirus are the ones who are receiving it first and then moving into the second tier, which are those who, who have chronic medical conditions and, and others might have uh, also great exposure. Um, there's a lot of debate about um, the safety of the vaccine and other people just aren't, of course, I'm not hearing questions from them, but they're not even questioning the safety of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So, so, I'm, so uh, I think there's just as much not being asked because of the, the belief underlying that as there are those who have the concern for it. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, I'm probably with the Robert F. Kennedy quote. This was kind of early on in the scene. I saw this going around on the internet um, and he was talking about that because it's mRNA, that it will create irreversible damage to the DNA that would be that, like you couldn't come to a practitioner like me just to try to detox like the ill effects of a vaccine as far as getting rid of heavy metals or chemical byproducts that are undesirable in the body. Is there truth to that? He compared it to actual like genetic engineering. That's one of the, when I was, when this vaccine came out, parents were asking me, well, should, what do you think of the vaccine? Because I know I, I speak a lot on, on what used to be the, you know, all the other vaccines and um, that we get. And, and I didn't have an opinion yet. So I, so I started researching it. And the, if you just look at it from an ingredient list standpoint, you'd say, well, well, this is like walking into a health food store with this small ingredient list compared to all the other ingredients around the traditional vaccines. Right. And um, so if, if, you, if you hear somebody just speak to it on that level, it sounds like it's a much better vaccine. Um, now the way the the way the way the um, the mRNA vaccine works, as I said, is it enters it enters the cell. Uh, the body then has to convert that into a protein. It's basically like a, a messenger with a blueprint that has to come in, and and the body has to do something with it. Um, the the question that 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 you're asking me and what 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 uh, Mr. Kennedy had said is whether the body has reverse transcriptase which would then take the mRNA and code it back into the DNA. Mm -hmm. 
And I've been researching that question and I, and I don't want to mislead people. So I don't have an answer on that. What I do understand so far is that that our cells do have reverse transcriptase, but I can't find any literature to say, well, this, if we bring in mRNA, will that then translate back into our own DNA? And I can't find anything on that. No, if, if I'm looking at a virology journal, yes, I can, I can see that that happens in the coronavirus is an mRNA, is an, is an RNA virus. Um, so it has to work backwards. So I would tend to think that there is a possibility to it, but I haven't found any research to support that yet. Well, and because it is new and we haven't had any vaccines of this nature, is it true to say then like we don't yet know what the long-term effects will be of this? I, I would agree with that completely. Okay. Do you have any idea or comment on how long it might take once people have gotten through the first and then the second round of vaccines for them to see any kind of long-term effect? It, it's hard to say because one of the things that I noted in people who are receiving the vaccine is about 70% of them are having localized reactions. And on, on the traditional vaccines, we don't have that, that kind of level of, of localized reactions. So there's something about this simple ingredient list that's causing a lot of inflammation at the injection site. And as I look at the ingredient list, the only thing I could see that would really cause that problem would be the polyethylene glycol, the PEG because the PEG would normally, if it comes into our body, it doesn't enter inside of a cell. And because it's in that, in that butter droplet, the PEG is in that butter droplet and go right into our cell. That's, to me, that's the only thing that I can see that's causing this localized reaction. So I don't know what that's going to do uh, for those who, are, who have a genetic potential to have uh, autoimmune problems um, or what that will do to alter the DNA in the future to make problems. So I think that that question is, is just going to take some time to, to explode. And I don't have a time period for when we'll start to see that. And the reason I say that is because we don't really understand when, when um, autoimmune problems come in. Alessio Fasano is the chair of pediatric gastroenterology at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And he is also the celiac, uh, head, runs the Celiac Institute at Tufts. And one of the questions he's asked in the past is, is why is it those with celiac uh, can eat bread, gluten for a certain number of years and then become celiac positive? And he says, we have a seven-year-old boy become celiac, and then we have a 70-year-old woman become celiac. One of them could only eat gluten for six, seven years, and the other one mm-hmm. could eat gluten for 69, 70 years. And why, why is there a difference if they're both genetically programmed? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the questions he grapples with. So as I look at the question you just posed me, I don't know when somebody's going to turn and have a problem. So it's really a very difficult target to base, uh, uh, to base, you know, is this the vaccine or is it not the vaccine? Cause we don't know. Right. And, and we know with, with celiac is there's only one cause of celiac, which is gluten. So that's the only autoimmune disease that we can track down and actually reverse engineer and understand where the problem's coming from. So I guess what, I guess in summary, maybe just because somebody doesn't have immediate effects to the second round of vaccines, we don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be. That's right. Okay. Okay. So then we had the next question that was about, um, is it true that people are still being told that even though they have the vaccinations, that they still would need to keep masks on and social distance even after the vaccination? And what does that mean as far as the efficacy? And anybody can um, respond to that. Well, I think... Um... You know, the, the vaccine, one of the questions is, is how does it prevent contagiousness? And that's not been studied yet. So 
the issue of continuing to wear masks would would underlie or underscore the fact that we don't know if if the vaccine is actually reducing contagiousness. I think what they're measuring in effectiveness is not the question is, is this making you immune, but are you having less symptoms, which is not answering the question of, of uh, contagiousness. So I think that's why they're, they're saying that. So I, I, think, uh, I, I think there's a, a disconnect in vocabulary and, and how people are understanding what we're talking about. Okay. I know because I know like my parents just moved to Florida from New York a year ago. And I think in their community, people think they're just going to get this vaccine and then it's like a free ride. Like now they can go out and socialize and get back to life and living and travel. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, Melissa, did you want to comment on that question? No, I just want to hear Sean and Dr. Thornburg speak. <laughs> I actually love learning this stuff too. I think this interview is vital. I think yeah. we have a lot of people that want to know the answers to these questions. Like if I'm going to inject myself with a subject, a substance that hasn't been safety tested or long-term safety tested, I know, do I wear a mask? Do I still social distance? Do I now wear double masks? Can I see my grandchildren? I think these are very valid questions for community members or people to understand. Um, and I think of that too, like, you know, would I get the shot if I could take my mask off? So, you know, like I haven't been social distancing cause that's my personal choice, but for work, I do wear a mask and masks mm -hmm. have caused me health issues. And that's been going on for 11 months now. And I've reaped the negative effects of long-term mask wearing. So I wonder if people are a little coerced and tempted, like we're going to coerce you into like, oh, now you can have your mask off. But now it's like, oh, no, keep your mask on and get injections that you don't know about and still social distance. So I feel like there's a lot of controlling, manipulation. It's kind of that same theme that has followed us from 2020. But honestly, right. Sean and Dr. Thurnberg can just answer all the questions. Okay. <laughs> Sean, what do you know from the legal standpoint on some of that? You know, what I, what I find interesting from a legal standpoint, I think we'll talk about the manda mandatory nature of the vaccine down the line, which is something people are starting to look to mm -hmm. and whether that's coming. But, you know, it's interesting because they're telling people to wear a mask. There are potentially many cities and towns have said you have to wear a mask because there are local ordinances, even some states. Um, so they're saying you must wear a mask. Now they're talking about a vaccine. And so, you know, kind of the point, of the, the whole point of wearing the mask supposedly was to keep you from transmitting the virus to other people is what they keep saying. So if this vaccine that the same government authorities are, you know, backing and putting money into and financing and, and promoting, I mean, there's a lot of government promotion going on around the vaccine. If that works and does what it's supposed to do, then why is the mask mandated or why can't you, you know, remove the mask mandate after you take the vaccine? So a lot of this just isn't adding up, right? I mean, so from a legal requirement standpoint, it's like, why do we have these overlapping requirements that seem to be intended to do the same thing? So it's just an open question on the legal side. Yeah, well, I guess my follow-up question then, Sean, is who does have the right to mandate, you know, social distancing, whether businesses stay open, if you have to wear a mask or not, and then ultimately the vaccines. Like what are, I think people want to understand what their rights are and who do you listen to, right? It, it's a complex legal question. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, courts will tell you, and there's been some, there's even been some cases made up to U.S. Supreme Court. Not everything gets to the U.S. Supreme Court, but AK, you know, every once in a while a case gets picked to get to the U.S. Supreme Court and we get to hear what they say. They kind of set the tone all the way down. They're the top 
of the yeah. pyramid and everybody's supposed to do basically what the Supreme Court says. And then if they don't, if it's not clear what the Supreme Court says and the lower courts get the way in and, you know, what all, a lot of courts have been saying is, hey, this is, this is unprecedented. We don't know what's going on. Uh, we don't know where the lines are drawn. Now, traditionally, the states have a lot of what they call police power. The states under the U.S. system, we have a federal government and a state government, as we discussed a little bit earlier. The state government is supposed to have a bunch of power that the federal government doesn't have, and that usually includes health, welfare, safety. And so what they what the states have been arguing is, well, you know, the same way we can set speed limits on the street, uh, the same way we can tell you how high you have to mow your lawn, we can tell you you have to wear a mask, or we have to tell you you have to stay away from other people. And but the problem is it then conflicts with some of the federal laws, First Amendment, um, your rights to assemble, your rights to practice religion, all of that. And so there's always been a long balancing act of the courts, right? So you know, you have building codes. Well, your building codes apply in your house. Nobody can say you can't have a building code for a church because you go to church there, right? They say, as long as you have the same building codes between the church and your house, right? It's okay, right? Because you're obviously not targeting religion with that. So you can have some regulations in these areas. The question is, where do they go? And largely what the courts have been saying is emergency, emergency, emergency. And the, well, the government's been saying emergency, 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 and the courts early on were recognizing it, but now we're starting to see even some of the courts are saying, hey, you can't have emergencies that go on forever, right? I mean, this is a never-ending emergency. Um, and you're talking about taking away people's fundamental rights in a lot of cases. You know, you can't practice religion. You can't peacefully assemble, which is huge. The, founding, the founders of this country wanted us to be able to assemble to discuss issues, and if we have a problem with the government, to bring our problems forward. And they're using this emergency to say, well, don't even get together, don't talk to each other, you know? And so it raises some re real questions about governmental process and whether fundamental fairness uh, when you're taking away some of these, these highly protected rights of citizens. So the truth is we're still figuring it out, but you know, states and then by extension, the counties and the municipalities that they empower theoretically can do general things for health and safety. The question is, do they go so far that they're taking away some of these other fundamental rights that were given by the US federal constitution, right? Because that is the limit, right? The states can do what they do, but if you have a fundamentally protected right in the state constitution, there's, there's, there's two constitutions too, right? You have a state constitution, a federal constitution. Mm -hmm. If you have a fundamentally protected right in one of those constitutions, it don't matter what they do, you can't take that away. Uh, and that's where that's where all the cases are right now, right? Is how far can they go? What can they do? And a lot of people are arguing these mask mandates. You know, they take away some of your First Amendment ability to speak. Um, you know, they impose, potentially impose a health and safety risk, right? There's a Fourteenth Amendment argument. You can't force somebody to do something against their will in the U.S. Involuntary servitude, slavery, essentially. Uh, so there's an argument that it falls under that. So there's a lot of different things floating around out there. Unfortunately, you know, it's just difficult to get the stuff through the court system, but there's still cases still working through there and we're going to find out where the boundaries are, but that's where we're sitting right now. Yeah, so even that's still yet to be determined, right? Right. I mean, the, the, the issue with laws is they write the laws, the laws go on the books. Ultimately, the courts determine the limits of the laws, right? I mean, that's one of the jobs of one of the main jobs of the courts is to say, you know, you government went too far, you know, you exceeded the constitutional authority, you didn't do it the right way, we're scaling you back. Um, and in this case, what we saw is a lot of governments jumped out and took a lot of action when this, you know, event happened. Mm -hmm. And they started taking away a lot of rights. And then a lot of people 
you know, push back, but it's taking a long time to work through the court system. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the court systems gives us their opinions on where they think the lines are. And theoretically, the government should stay within the lines of what the court system says. So we're still waiting in a lot of cases to hear how far this can go. Sure. And is that the need for advocacy between the Freedom Keepers and Sean, your, what is yours called? American, American Freedom Information Institute. Yeah. Our, I mean, our mission is really to spread information about freedom issues and teach people how to be advocates so that they can change them. Um, you know, one way and what we're, you know, Florida, we've been very focused on the mandatory vaccine law. So we'll, we'll probably talk about it more in detail in a bit, but, you know, Florida has a law sitting on the books of saying that your state health officer can force you to take a vaccine against your will, which shocks a lot of people. Um, you have two ways of fighting that. You can go through the court system as we're talking about, right? So you can go into the court and say, hey, this takes away my constitutional rights. You know, maybe it's involuntary servitude. Maybe it's a right to privacy. We have a strong right to privacy here in Florida and a lot of lawyers have an argument or that. Some reason you can't do this, right? That's one way to fight the forced vaccine law or a mask mandate or whatever you, you don't like. You can fight it under the constitution through the court systems. The other way you can do it is just change the law. And that's kind of what we're telling people is the safer way to do this is to work with your legislature, work with your elected officials, change the laws, take away the ability of the state under law to force you to take a vaccine. If they don't have the law saying they can do it, then they can't do it until they would amend and put in a new law saying they could do it, right? So get the law off the books. So there's, there's a couple different ways to fight this. Uh, the surer way I keep telling people is to change the law. A lot of people like say, let's just take it to court. It violates my constitutional rights. And the honest truth is you don't know what the court's going to do, right? They go everywhere. They decide these cases all kind of different ways. You are taking a real dice roll mm -hmm. if you're going to rely on the court system to try to save your constitution or save your rights. Got it. And Melissa, you're head bobbing up there. So you agree? I agree. And Florida Freedom Keepers works closely with Sean. One of the things that we hear from our community members is, how do I get involved? How do I make change? Am I the only person that feels this way? And so what we do with Florida Freedom Keepers, we connect people to their county. There's 67 counties in the state of Florida, and we group them together so that they can find a tribe, that they don't have to feel so alone, that they can meet up with friends and practitioners and lawyers and moms and dads and they can find a network of group. And then what we do from there, similar to what Sean does, is we connect them to their politicians, their local legislators. And two years ago, I would have never known who my senator and house rep was. I probably didn't even know I had a senator. Um, and so March 2nd, session starts in Florida. It's a 60-day session, and we produce a lot of calls to action, and we need everyone's voice. If you care about medical freedom, if you're passionate about your job, your income, your body, your children, your work, your school, we need you to join us. We, the calls to action are very easy, and speaking to legislators may feel very intimidating, but when you have a community that surrounds you and you really care about an issue, like the Florida Statute 381, the forced vaccine law, this is something that we can help you achieve. Everyday people can make a difference. And so really our goal is educating and empowering people to get involved politically and in their communities. I love that. And again, we'll put links for people um, that want to continue to get involved with these different organizations. Um, Dr. Thornburg, where else can people go to continue their education on vaccines? Obviously, they still have a lot of questions. And like you said, there's still a lot yet to be determined. So where are some good places for um, getting some truth so that they can make informed decisions? I tell my parents to, to get as much information as they possibly can. So 
um, there's good and bad to, to the vaccines or there's, there's, um, there's, a, there's a purpose behind them. We can understand why they're there. And then there's also ingredients there um, that, that can harm the body. And, and I've lectured a lot on this topic. So I show charts showing that after some vaccines have been brought to the public, to the public that the incidence of disease decreased and other vaccines it really hasn't made a, a noticeable change. And it was probably just part of the natural improvement in, in, our, in, our, in our infrastructure, like better water, better sanitation, better access to medical care, general information. So, um, and then I say, look around the world because different countries take, we all have the same scientific literature. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the United States has our own literature, Danabank, and we just, just make decisions based off of the U.S. Lit scientific literature, and then England does their own. It's we we we. It's just common common scientific literature, and every country will look at that literature through their cultural prism. So there are different that applies to all medical conditions, and the way that we interpret the safety and, and efficacy of vaccines is no different. So I say, look around the world. You'll see different countries have different approaches. They'll give different. They give the vaccine to different time periods or, or they won't give some and they'll give others that we don't have. So the more you educate yourself, the better you're going to be to make the right decision for your family. And I always warn them that no matter what you do, if you give the vaccine and there's a problem, or you don't give the vaccine and there's a problem, you're going to wish you did the opposite side of it. And so that's why you want to have as much information in there because ultimately once that emotional uh, shadow passes, you're going to say, I, I know I did the best I could but I want to make sure that parents are landing on that footing. Um, so that's why it's really important that they go to the CDC website and to the National Vaccine Information Center. Um, there's also some people on the internet that, that are physicians on the internet that, that speak on this and you could watch some of their YouTube videos. Great, and we'll put some links. So if you want to provide me with links where um, parents can get, you know, get, start getting more information, that's great. Um, I know that there's things falling off the internet being taken down and stripped down and vaccines obviously is a super hot topic of censorship right now. So um, is it true then maybe that they need to find other sources than just uh, social media? That's interesting. Um, I was interviewed by Jasper Jackson uh, a couple of weeks ago, who is one of, uh, he's, a, he's a freelance journalist and he writes for, for The Guardian and for The New Statesman. And, uh, and that was the topic we were, we were speaking about is, is how, what rights do, do uh, from a medical standpoint, what right does Facebook or these other social media outlets have to censor people? And then we got into the debate, obviously with their perspective, um, you know, we had a very nice debate. It was very respectful. He didn't include any of my statements in his article, but um, <laughs> that's exactly what we we're talking about is how, how can you get information uh, if social media has become the most important uh, means to gather information? Yeah, true. And so that's why, you know, put, we'll put the links, we'll provide the information people can go. Uh, and also what I'm finding is a lot of, uh, like Sean, your website and the Freedom Keepers, people are collecting email addresses. So it is worthwhile to get, if there's a site or somebody that you can want to continue to get information from, definitely get on their subscriber list. I think everybody was like, before I'm not giving my phone number, I don't wanna give my email, I don't wanna be contacted. But if your source does get pulled down from social media by staying involved and getting on a list, they still can interact with you, right? Well, yeah, uh, let me, let, yeah, let me double down on that point and yeah. I'll tell you at least our policy on it. I know Florida Freedom Keepers, we've had, you know, we, we, our organizations work closely with each other. We have a lot of conversations behind the scenes, but you know, at least our policy has been 
you know, we, we ask for people's email addresses to even admit them to our Facebook group. And the reason why is so much of what we put on social media is, you know, for better or worse, we pre-censor it. We know if we put too much truth out there or, or put too much information out there, Facebook is going to pull us or they're going to flag it, right? We have that happen. People post stuff in our group, even stuff that looks like it's, you know, from a credible source makes sense and ends up getting fact checked away. And then Facebook tells you that they're going to, you know, show your group to less people and do that. So what we do is we use Facebook and some of the other social media channels is really a collection point. If you want to get the real information, if you want to know the big events we're doing, you want to know the research we're finding, you want the articles, that all comes out by email. And so, you know, we made a decision given what's happening in the social media world that, you know, we're going to communicate primarily by email. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, that's an unfiltered, somewhat unfiltered channel. I mean, the email providers get involved in this too. It's less filtered than social media, higher delivery rates. And so, yeah, I mean, it, you have to balance, you have to pick organizations you trust that you want to give your email address to. But I'll tell you from what I've seen with our organization and other organizations, where we are sitting right now in modern times is you need to, you know, the real information is going to come by email. It's not going to come by social media because social media is all pre-filtered. Mm -hmm. True. Does social media have like a legal right to censor it? You know, that's an open question. Um, there's a lot of arguments going back and forth on that. The, the, the traditional view is you're a private business. You do with your business what you want. And that's what the social media channels will quickly say, right? Is I'm, I'm Facebook, I'm Twitter, I'm a private business. You don't have to, I don't have to do business with you, you know, and they can, and largely that's true. A private business, as long as they're not discriminating against you based on something protected, right? You know, yeah. you're, national origin, your age, you know, your ethnic background, your medical disability status, which becomes an issue with the mask mandates, by the way. But, you know, normally a private business can just pick and choose who they do business with. If they don't like you, if you're a Republican, Democrat, they can just not do business with you. So that's what Facebook and Twitter will quickly say and the other social media channels. But there's a federal law out there, Section 230, which you'll see comes up a lot of times in these debates, which says if you're just a publisher, if you're just like a bulletin board, and you're not, you're not involved in actively filtering information, then you're not liable for that information. So Facebook and Twitter on one side are saying, hey, we're, we're a private business. We get to pick who we do business with. And on the other side, they're using the liability protection of saying, oh, we're just a bulletin board. We're not filtering what's here. People, we're just letting people post and we're not involved in the publication of information. But then a lot of people argue, if you look at how they're acting, they're picking and choosing what can go through. They're picking and choosing who can speak. They're putting fact checks on some things, not fact checks on other things. They're adjusting the algorithms. They're acting a lot like a you know traditional newspaper or somebody who wouldn't get liability protection under 230 because they are um, not just being a bulletin board or a medium of posting. They're actually acting more like an editor or an information source. So that's the tension right now. That's the big issue. It's under debate. There's, you know, different people arguing different ways under section 230, but you know, the simple is yes, they're a private business. They can filter, but if they are filtering, then they shouldn't get liability protection for what's posted if it's, if they're mm -hmm. editing it. And so that's kind of where it's sitting right now. And the courts are still working on that one too. And then just to follow up with what Sean is saying, um, we have a House bill that was submitted for session, House Bill 33 by Anthony Sabatini for social media. 
And so that can be something that Floridians can look up. And if they like what that bill language says, they can support it and they can call their local legislators and ask for House Bill 33 to be um, supported and go through session and all of that. But there are ways that politicians can um, submit bills that can help protect your rights. And I know Sean knows more about that kind of stuff, but there yeah. can be things like Sean said, where we can encourage politicians to start submitting bills. I mean, that's their job is to help their constituents and their community and listen to the concerns that we have. Yeah, and I, I will tell you, I mean, this is one of these state federal things. Generally, if the federal government regulates it, the states can't regulate it. But California came in a few years ago and put in a bunch of privacy laws, right? They said, if you've got consumers in California, whatever, you have to follow these California privacy regulations. Those largely went through without question. They haven't largely been challenged. So California kind of set the groundwork potentially for other states to jump in and say, well, this is how you have to play social media in our in our state. And that's what uh, Representative Sabatini has been looking at. I know even the governor um, has talked about, you know, setting boundaries on social media, having Florida specific regulation to keep an open forum. So uh, yeah, it's another area where we as advocates can potentially get involved and protect our rights is to say, hey, this is how we want the playing field to work, right? Um, right. We, we want to, you know, a lot of us will say we would like to be the ones that pick who's a good reliable source and who's not a good reliable source. We don't need a social media company to do that for us, right? If we don't, if we think somebody's posting trash, we'll just remove them from our feed. Uh, we don't need you to tell us that, you know, we don't like the opinion you're expressing. So, you know, that can potentially be done at either a federal re regulation level or some talk about that, but also you can get involved in your state level, potentially given the precedent we have right now, this could be done at a state level and Florida's talking about doing that. Cool. Because it extends beyond social media too. Like there is censorship in traditional media. So I want to just say like, you can't believe everything you hear on television or that you, you know, follow on social media. You have to find some of these resources that we're going to post for you and start doing your own research because you can't make an informed decision if you don't understand both sides of it. Do you guys all agree on that? Yeah, I agree. And I'll say Florida Freedom Keepers had the opportunity to host Melissa Floyd and Dr. Bob Sears for a podcast called The Vaccine Conversation. And a lot what Dr. Thornburg does is just allow people to have the right information, informed consent. Um, so it was really great because I learned so much from Dr. Sears' perspective of what he has learned from the mRNA and the vaccine development and what's happening globally. And I think those are great conversations to have. And, and we see that MSM is wanting to shut that down, is wanting to just have their money to take that out. So we're not really getting that portion from mainstream media. And so what we've done is we've invited people like this call that you have us on today and podcast and Chris Ann Hall and, and just different ways that people can find in their community the right, and not the right information, but more of a balanced information. So they can have this resource and this resource. And if they're verified and good resources, then they as a person can do what's best for themselves and their own biology. Right, I love that. Okay, so Dr. Thornburg, in the meantime, while we're waiting for some of the safety data and the long-term consequences to kind of come about and understand, do you agree that people can protect them, their health and their immunity against things like coronavirus naturally? Oh, completely. That, that's absolutely. Um, <laughs> don't even know where to start with that. So, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
the the way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we exercise, the way we hydrate, the way we eliminate, the way we connect with other people, all these personalizing lifestyle factors uh, really uh, affect how our DNA is expressed. So you, we don't have this static model where you know if if we have the gene for Alzheimer's, we're going to have Alzheimer's, and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, it's how we live our life all the way up to that point that we have Alzheimer's controls whether or not that gene is expressed. And so uh, I think the same is true with, with coronavirus or any infectious disease. And when we talk about infectious diseases, infectious diseases have different um, virility uh, factors. So, so a common cold we would consider, I consider just kind of the baseline. So we understand if somebody walks into the house and they have a cold, uh, you know, maybe and you have four people in the home, maybe one other person gets the cold. The same thing is true for strep throat. Maybe if, you know, there's a house of four people and one person has strep, one of the three of them will, will get strep throat. Whereas you have other things like Ebola, which I, I don't know what the virility factor is, but say somebody walks into the house with Ebola and, and two of the other people get Ebola. So there's just a higher uh, infectious coefficient. So with coronavirus, corona is actually one of the common causes of the common cold. So this is not a new virus that has come around. It's a mute, it's what they're calling is a, it's a different strain, a different, different mutation of, of a common virus. And so if we're living our life and we're doing all those healthy steps and all those little decisions we make all day long, we're going to not, we're not likely to get sick. So I, I tell parents, this is really important. If, if you're stressed out at work and you're not sleeping well and you're not exercising and so you're eating a lot of comfort food and then somebody comes into the house and they're sick, you're, you're the one that might get the illness as opposed mm -hmm. to coming off a of vacation and you've been eating well and you're feeling good, you're sleeping, you're less likely to get the disease. So, so the long answer to your question is yes, absolutely. You know, the way you live your life as well as eating well and supplements, all of that combines to, to help prevent the coronavirus from, from inhabiting your body. Right. And I'll just, not to interrupt Christy, but just to say with Dr. Thornburg, one thing that really helped me is on Dr. Thornburg's website, he had a list of supplements, and you can talk about this if you want, that you would recommend for preventing COVID if you had active COVID. And I sent that to all of my family and all of my friends. And I was like, get this tea, get these vitamins. And it made such a difference. And, mm -hmm. and I think just learning those things, because we're taught like, Oh, everyone's going to get it. You're all going to get it. You take your mask off to drink water. You're going to get it. And so you're building this fear inside the culture in our community that you walk outside and breathe fresh air. You're going to get it. And so, and I see it daily. I mean, I have clients, I'm a hairstylist. I have clients that have not come in for a year. They don't want to leave their house. They want to wear double masks. They wear gloves and then sanitize their gloves. And that's not to judge them. That's totally their priority for them to feel safe. But that fear induced false sense of safety, I think where it gets a little challenging. So I do want to say, I appreciate what Dr. Thornburg had put out on his social media, because that was a very helpful chart. And I don't know if you wanted to touch on that, but that was very helpful for the time. Yeah. And one, one quick question. I want to circle back to an earlier point before we pass it. I think Dr. Thornburg probably passed it back to him, but um, 
we were talking earlier about getting on email lists and communicating directly, right? Social media, I've seen they flag that, right? They're saying like, oh, well, you know, we, we're not going to allow people to, and I've seen, you know, because I see kind of legalistic language they post and saying you can't post about how you can, you know, avoid the, avoid the uh, virus by, you know, doing things other than what the government health authorities are saying, right? So that's the reason why so many of our organizations are trying to communicate with people directly because, you know, they're setting up these systems of filtering and, you know, listening to what Melissa's talking about, Dr. Thornburg, his information is just outside the bounds of what the social media companies are starting to set now because they don't want us hearing this stuff for whatever reason. And, and, and you know, it all plays into what's going on behind the scenes, but, you know, that's why you need to have information sources you trust and connect with them directly rather than through third parties that are filtering the information, so. Correct. Dr. Thornburg, do you want to answer Melissa's question or comment on the post? That that's um yeah I, that was part of a uh I, I guess it was maybe in April maybe May in the late I think it was April uh I, I just watched the the pandemic for a while and, and then I gathered some information and I was looking at you know Johns Hopkins um, live stats on on the worldwide progression of the virus as well as looking at the CDC data on the number of sick the, the department of from the department of health from, from here in florida and uh and then i gave a presentation and i just used all mainstream literature but but i uh I, I presented an argument which said that really going back to the epigenetics like let's just take responsibility for ourselves here's some supplements and i gave the literature that supported why those supplements would be beneficial um i explained why some people why the elderly were getting uh disproportionately ill compared to others. And, and I was saying that the elderly, it's actually starting after 30 years old, we don't make a, uh, our, our digestive enzymes aren't as effective. So when we eat food, we're not digesting the food correctly. And as we get older, a lot of people tend to have reflux. So they're starting to take proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers. And this further accentuates the difficulty with, with absorption because that you need the acid from your stomach to activate the pancreatic enzymes. And so we already have a decrease in pancreatic enzymes, and then we add in the H2 blockers or the reflux medicines, and then we have a further decrease in absorption or breakdown of food and absorption. So the elderly, while they might eat well, and a lot of them do, they're still prone to getting illness because they don't have the building block because they haven't absorbed the food correctly. And so, so all these supplements, and I, I did all the literature, and Facebook flagged it with that marker that goes on front. Just, this is, you know, this may contain inaccurate information, and and I was blown away that that everything I posted was mainstream literature and yet it was still flagged because the conclusion uh, and the argument didn't support a certain, a certain political agenda. You guys know who are these fact checkers behind the scenes? Do they have any um, medical degrees or anything? Like who are they? Yeah, there's been a lot of articles about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of them that have, in, they have independence issues, right? And that's another thing, you know, just globally, you know, throughout this whole situation, you need to look at independence. Uh, who is independent, right? And they always say independent fact checkers, but then a lot of people have gone back and fact checked the fact checkers and they got financial <laughs> ties to the social media companies. They got, you know, handpicked who's on their teams, you know, and so you got that issue and, you know, back to the, the virus and the vaccines, one of the way these vaccines were supposed to be approved by these independent committees and you know they've hidden the names of who's on the independent committees right so we can't even go check the independence of the independent people <laughs> and you know the handful that 
you know, their names got leaked somehow or whatever, they started looking at them and they have a lot of ties into farm and other industries. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's great to throw the word independent on stuff and say that it's independently fact-checked, but then you have to go back and really look at the in fact independence, right? It's something we deal a lot with in the legal world. Is somebody truly independent or they have some kind of conflict of interest? And most of the times when you dig into this, you find a lot of people have a conflict of interest. So what I've seen is a lot of researchers have said the fact-checkers have, you know, these conflicts that cause them not necessarily to, they kind of have their pre, they have a pre-ordained answer before they even start doing the fact check. Got yeah. it. I thought that was the case. <laughs> okay, so we are going to wrap up because it's about an hour and we know people's attention spans will not allow them to watch <laughs> the completion of this video and it's super important topic. Um, closing arguments, any closing statements? Melissa, you did a good job telling people how they can get involved, but any closing statements? Yes, we want you, we need you, your voice matters, your rights matter, and if people try to tell you and muzzle you and force you to be injected, please know that your rights matter and that if you choose a vaccine, that's totally fine. That's your personal choice. And if you choose not to have a vaccine, that's also your personal choice. And we just don't want you to feel coerced that you have to get a vaccine to keep a job or have to tr get a vaccine to travel. We want you guys to feel empowered and we know a lot of times the one thing that 2020 taught me is that the government is fully capable of overreach and it's just about learning what works the best for you and we want you we want your voice we want your passion and we're very happy to support you and you can find us at flfreedomkeepers.org awesome thank you john any closing statements yeah, I think, you know, this is about citizen activism. You know, early in this thing, there was a hearing here in the local town I am in Florida where they were talking about mask mandates. And, uh, and a large number of us went in and spoke out against mask mandates. You know, my position is don't force a medical procedure on somebody, and you know, unless you are certain about it, right? And, and there is a lot of uncertainty about masks. I know a lot of people think they're not that big of a deal or whatever. But there's a lot of uncertainty. I say don't force a medical procedure. A number of people that had like-minded to me showed up and probably it's maybe 40 of us. And there was one person that came and spoke in favor of mass mandates. And at the conclusion of the meeting, this, this commission said, well, you know, we know a lot of you showed up, but we think there's more people that didn't show up that would be in favor of a mass mandate. So we're probably going to do the mass mandate, right? So <laughs> point was 40 was not enough, right? 100, maybe 200. What number would sway them? These politicians were admitted basically that they were doing mental math of who had more votes and they're gonna go with the side with more votes. And there's a lot of us out there that love freedom, that believe in liberty, to believe in the fundamental underpinnings of our constitution. So we need to band together and express our points and we need to be noisy so that they know we exist and they know we're out there. Um, otherwise, they're just gonna assume that there's not enough of us or that the other groups are louder, so we're gonna to listen to them more. So this is one of the fundamental things we need to do in a democracy to the extent we still have a democracy here, we need to get loud and get noisy and make things happen. So um, get organized, Florida Freedom Keepers, you know, come hang out on my email list, amfreedomii.com. You can scroll down and get on the American Freedom Information Institute email list. Uh, get with some like-minded organizations, get teamed up with some other people. We'll be doing a letter writing campaign with Florida Freedom Keepers here very soon getting a lot of, getting a lot of uh, information out to elected officials and asking them to work with us for freedom. So get involved in movements like that with collective bodies where we can really make a difference. Otherwise, they're just gonna to continue to ignore us. 
I like that. And Chris Ann Hall, when she was at the practice uh, a few weeks ago, she spoke about consent. And it's like, what people don't realize is that if they keep folding and they keep giving up their rights and they just keep bowing down out of the unknowing or not wanting to ruffle other people's feathers and kind of go along with the norm is that you're giving up consent. And the more you perpetuate that, the more that becomes a social norm and the more that these like, you know, investing bodies, they get away with it. And so then they just are gonna perpetually enforce more and more restrictions on our freedoms and rights. So that was a big takeaway that I got from her. Um, her lecture a few weeks ago. Dr. Thornberg, closing uh, comments from you. Um, they, they're both right on. It's, 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 it's a grassroots movement. Um, we don't want to lose our rights. And, and it's a difficult uh, I, idea because you know, it, it's death on the other side of this that, that's being preached. So it's, so it's bringing a lot of emotion into the argument. Um, the way I handle it, because everybody has a back culture, they have a sub they have a, a, an unconscious programming and we don't know what that is, which is it's just like the cultural prism I mentioned when we were looking at research is everybody has a different bias in how they're going to take facts. And so one person handles it. We have to, we have to honor that and just make sure that they're educating themselves. And this is what you're doing. This is what Florida Freedom Keepers are doing. This is what Sean's organization is doing. And it's just continuing to educate yourself because we're as I've been studying nanotechnology, which is where this is going, I, I didn't even know this whole world really existed. And you know, they've been do, putting nanotechnology into our products for the last 10 years. It's largely unregulated. Um, and that's one of the things that really scares me about this is, is it's, it's a, I don't know how many regulations are out there controlling this, but this isn't like an atomic bomb where you can't get uranium. So we just can't have some nut job just create an atomic bomb because it's really regulated. Here, labs all over the world are, are have this technology and can make nanotechnology and they it can go right in and, and alter DNA or, or at least that's what the concern is. And so I, I, I want to make sure people are aware that there's a lot of... Uh, a potential good with this technology, but there's also a lot of potential bad. And we just don't know enough. And, and it's, it's, it's wild west right now. And so you really need to, 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 to make sure you know what you're doing. And, but I was in a discussion on Super Bowl Sunday uh, with a variety of people. And, and they were talking about, you know, my 80 year old grandmother has been socially isolated because their friends won't go out. And while she doesn't have a concern, you know, this is all she has is her bridge game once a day, but the other people won't come in because they don't have the vaccine. Well, that's their space, you know, they want to socialize. And so if they get the vaccine and it turns out to be an awful vaccine, they, they met their, their need. They met their need of, of socialization and for them, that's okay. And then, you know, all of us that were, you know, middle-aged, we, we were just, some people were like, well, I'm going to do it so I can be around my mom. And other people were like, well, I'm not going to do it because I'm concerned about this. So, so it, it, it's creating a discourse, which I'm enjoying. Um, and then fortunately it's not hitting my pediatric world much, but um, I, it's, yeah. it's something that I think we just have to keep honoring where we're at, educating and, and remember once we start losing rights, it's hard to get them back. Agreed. Agreed. Well said. Well, thank you, everyone. This is super informative. I think that it should also be encouraging to everybody that's listening that there are so many ways that you can get involved and get informed and good things that you can do to protect your health and your immunity, like staying away from fear and staying away from isolation and joining like-minded people. So thank you, everyone, for taking a piece of your Friday and spending it with us. We'll put all the wonderful links um, that you guys mentioned in the show notes. And for now, I'm Dr. Christy Harvell signing off and good health naturally. Until next time. Bye.